So back in 2001, as I've probably shared before, and many of you already know, I had the privilege to go and live for a year in Scotland. I served, I did some mission work there, and I went to this city called Perth, Scotland. Perth, as they would say in Scotland. And it used to be the ancient capital of Scotland. And I remember, like, the first day I got there, I was, I decided to get a feel for the city, and I was walking around, and I heard, this is crazy, it was like, am I in, like, a fairy tale or something? I heard bagpipes playing in the distance, and I walked down to the River Tay, which goes through the city of Perth, and literally there was just some dude standing on the riverbank playing bagpipes, like, in all of his, you know, all of his tartan wear. I was like, again, like, where am I? What is this all about? And then as I was turning the corner, I came face-to-face with this building. You see that building right there? What does that building look like to you? It looks like what? It looks like a what? A church. You would be wrong. Imagine my surprise. This is back in 2001 when I discovered that this building right here is actually an apartment building. It had at one point been a church, but it had now gone to become an apartment building. And as I traveled around the UK and as I traveled more and more around Scotland, I realized that there are many of these church buildings that had been converted to other things. They had been, if I can put it in these terms, they had been deconverted to other things. They, you know, apartments, restaurants, this, that, and the other. You know, down in Portland, there's places like this now as well. There's, a, I know there's a, an Italian restaurant, right, in, in downtown Portland that used to be a church building. And it's just a really sobering thing to think about. Because the reality is, many of these places in Europe and, and increasingly in the United States are becoming more and more secular. More and more people are turning away from organized religion. I just came across an article last night, just published yesterday from the BBC, called Tomorrow's Gods, What is the Future of Religion? And it started kind of talking about the landscape of religion, especially in the Western world. Um, What they don't tell you in this article is that religion is on the rise in what is called now the global south, what some people used to call the developing world. But it's on the rise there, and, and, and religion has never been bigger. But in the western world, in the global north, as they call it, religion is becoming less and less and less popular, and fewer and fewer people are participating in religion. Notice a few stats. This is kind of like the present landscape of where we are. The present landscape, the number of Christians in Britain decreases by 10,000 persons each week. They say that by 2067, Christians in Britain will be, what is the term that is used there? Statistically invisible. In other words, there will basically be no more Christians in Great Britain by 2067. Right, Roland? You know? Yeah, it's just increasingly dying out in the Western world. If you were born after 1984, may I dare ask if you were born after 1984? Raise your hand. If you were born, whoa, more people than I realized. If you were born in 1984, there's only a 10% chance you will attend a church any given week in America. That's pretty staggering. It's great that you're here this week, praise God. And you're like, oh man, I must be doing something wrong because I'm here today. 
And I was born after 1984. No, 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 you're the cool people. You are the cool people. But if you were born after 1984, there's only a 10% chance you'll be at a church service. Only 4% of millennials in America attend church. That's crazy. How many of us, raise that hand nice and proudly, how many of us are millennials? Amen? All right. That's right. Well, so only 4% of us are millennials. There's some of us who are right on the line. And then, maybe you've heard this before, but nuns, N-O-N-E-S, not nuns that wear those things on their head and so forth. Nuns, although they might, you don't have to, you know, there's no discrimination. Nuns are statistically now the largest religious group in the United States. What's a nun? Well, when you fill out a survey or you fill out a census or whatever it is, and they ask for what your religion is, there's that little box that says nun. This group is just... Is just growing by leaps and bounds such that it is the largest single religious group in the United States of America now. All of this has led, this article I was citing, this this author to say, check this out, this is a bold claim, that there is a growing consensus, I don't know who he's talking about, but there is a growing consensus that the future of religion is that it, what? Has no future. Now this guy who was writing this article, I think was maybe writing a little wishfully. I think he was not necessarily coming from a religious background because, as I said, if you go parts of the world, religion and Christianity specifically is growing by leaps and bounds. But nevertheless, here in the global north, here in the west, fewer and fewer people are involving themselves with religion. And can you blame them to some degree? There's many things that go on in the Christian world today, and we won't get into the specifics this particular day, but there are many, many things that we see that have turned off people from Christianity. I could cite for you, as I said, examples. There's greater and greater polarity that's happening in this country. I shared this a few weeks ago as well in my last teaching when I was here. But there's greater and greater polarity. There's greater and greater extremes, and there are more and more people who are doing heinous things in the name of religion. It's, it's a really bad look in today's day and age, what goes on in the name of Christianity. So with all that in mind, I want to look at a couple of passages of Scripture as we start a new teaching this Saturday, this, this Sabbath. As we start a new little series, actually it may be a long series, depending on if I can stick with it. As some of you know, I kind of start things that I don't finish, but that's another story. Uh, but there's like, I don't know how many series I've started over my past eight years where I'm like, let's go through the book of Hosea, verse by verse. And like, you know, five verses in, I, I just abandoned. But anyway, well, we're going to try it, okay? Amen? We're going to try it. That's why you guys love me, right? So what I'm planning is 28 sermons in this series, okay? No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But we're, gonna, we're, gonna, we're starting this new series called Viral, and the subtitle is Unleashing the Revolution, because there is an absolutely staggering and surprising prophecy that is shared in the Bible's very last book. As, as I said, two weeks ago, we kind of talked about the extremes that are taking place in this country. 
And we looked at some portions in the book of Revelation, and we're going to return there today because there's, a, there's just, if, if you weren't expecting it, it comes out of nowhere. And we have to kind of unpack it a little bit to understand what it's saying. But in, in, in even in the light of all of this death of religion and people writing its obituary and, and people eulogizing it, there is a shocking prophecy in the book of Revelation that we're going to encounter in a second. Now, as, before we go there, I want to give you a little context because Revelation, as probably many of you know, talks a lot about the history of the world from the beginning of the Christian age. And it goes all the way down to the very end of time to describe the things that will unfold before I'm a believer that Jesus will come come soon by God's grace. But before he comes, it describes some of the events that will take place. And it actually predicts It's a little review of what I shared a couple weeks ago. It was not part of this teaching series, but just a little bit of a review. Actually, it was with Mike, as I shared. I don't know if you remember, but when we were there when I was the last time, out of my mouth I said, boy, with all this political stuff going on, it feels like Jesus is coming soon. (laughs) And I was just like, it just hung out there. I'm like, oh boy, I don't know what these guys think about Jesus' second coming. I was like, ooh. But, uh, I mean, Mike does. Mike's a believer. Mike's a believer. But, you know, it's a mixed group there. We all come from different religion or Christian perspectives. But 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 the book of Revelation, if you, as you unpack it, it makes it look like it's kind of speaking to what's going on right now. And so right before this, it describes this, and I'm just gonna use the language because the kids are all gone, the whore of Babylon. That's a pretty uh, graphic image that it gives in Revelation chapter 17. But it, in the midst of all of this upheaval and all this craziness, there is this verse that has captured many people's imagination, including mine, and it's a single verse, although it explains it a little bit more as it goes on, and we're going to unpack that as we go through the series, but it's in Revelation chapter 18, okay? Revelation chapter 18, and it says this, all right? You ready for it? I've built it up so much now, but check this out. And after these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. Now that sounds like a kind of a cryptic idea. Like what exactly is John talking about here, the person who wrote the book of Revelation? First of all, we need to understand when he says another angel came down from heaven. The word angel, we usually, in our minds, we conjure up these images of of some uh, being that has these wings and it has a harp and it has a nice white robe. And that, no doubt, is a part of it. But the word angel actually literally means a messenger. So that's what an angel is. That the primary task of angels in scripture is to deliver a message. And so this messenger comes down from heaven and it has great authority. Now that term for authority is, and we're going to come back around this in a future teaching, but that term authority is the same word that is used when Jesus, before he goes back to heaven, he's with his disciples and he says, all authority has been given to me. So this is, this is a message that comes from Jesus. This is a, 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 a good news that comes from Jesus. He says, all authority has been given to me. And this angel, this messenger, also has this great authority. Now check out what happens as a result. And it says, and the earth was what? Illuminated. It was lightened. The word literally is like, 
if we were to look it up in the Greek, it's like photon. It's, it's, it's enlightened. It's, light comes to it. And so it's illuminated with his glory. Now that term glory is kind of a vague understanding in our mind. But what scripture means when it speaks about glory is somebody's character, who they are. When God speaks of his glory, he's not speaking of this kind of abstract concept. He is speaking about, and I could show you in scripture where this comes from, but he is speaking about who he is fundamentally. He is speaking about his character of love and his grace and of mercy. You know, when he was there with Moses and Moses said, God, show me your glory. He asked, this is actually what Moses said to God. God said, oh, you can't see my glory and live, but I'll let you see the back of me as I walk past. And then God announced that he is the one who is compassionate and merciful and gracious. This is what God's glory is. And so when the earth is illuminated with the glory, this messenger has this glory that goes out. It is speaking that it is illuminated with the character of Jesus. But there's something fascinating because if we were to rewind the tape and we were to go back to the kind of antecedents to this, we would understand that this description right here is a fulfillment of a promise that God gave to his people way back in the Old Testament age. As you know, perhaps, God had a people. He chose a people named Israel to to rise up and to proclaim his love, proclaim his goodness, to demonstrate it. He made this promise, and we've talked about this many, many times before, but he made this promise to Abraham. Abraham was called out of Ur of the Chaldees, and he was told by God that he was going to bring him to a land which he would show him, and that he would bless him, and through Abraham, all families of the earth would be blessed. And so Abraham was called to this task. He was called to be a blessing to the world, and this was, was, was God's giving Abraham this task to spread his glory, to spread his character, to spread the truth about who he was to the, to, the, to the world. Now, unfortunately, Abraham had children, and they had children, and they had children, and they didn't always get it right. And time after time, they pulled farther and farther away from God, and they turned their back on him, and then there were eventually kings, and those kings, they unfortunately led God's people away from him and his ways, and they forgot about his law of love. But God gave this promise to them, nevertheless. Check it out in Isaiah chapter 60. Check it out. Isaiah chapter 60, verses 1 through 3. We have these words. Isaiah the prophet, the man who is calling Israel back to God. He says, arise and shine for your what? Your light has come. And what is the word? The glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold... The darkness shall cover the earth. Now, does that sound like a pretty accurate description of what we see right now? I mean, again, we don't have to get into all the specifics or all the ins and outs, but there is a lot of unbelievable darkness that is being spread throughout this world, in every corner of the world. Now, there's a lot of good things going on, and that's kind of the, that's kind of the, the dichotomy that's taking place, and we're going to unpack that a little bit more. But I feel like the world is simultaneously getting worse while simultaneously getting better. How's that for hedging my bets? Some people say, well, it's getting worse. Some people say, oh, no, the world is, the world is getting better. Like, there's more civil rights and so forth. But I think that people are getting hardened either in their love or they're becoming hardened in their hate. 
They're becoming, they're becoming more loving or they're becoming more hateful. Do you see that? Because I, I see that. And again, we, we could get into some of the specifics. But, I, but it's, it feels like, and it's interesting because I've just been reading this book. I, I just read this book uh, that, that was detailing, it's called uh, Stamped from the Beginning, and it details the history of racism in America. And the author has basically said that two things are happening simultaneously. In America, racial pro- we've, we've seen racial progress while at the same time seeing the progression of racism. So it's like they're both going on at the same time. Like people are becoming more racist and less racist at the same time. It's like we see these dual things happening at once. That people are responding more to God while people are turning more away from him and we're going deeper and deeper into our commitments to one side or the other. So he says, darkness shall cover the earth and deep darkness the people. Even God's people, he's saying, are becoming more and more darkened by this this inward orientation. But he says, but the Lord will arise over you and his what? His glory shall be seen upon you. And the Gentiles, in other words, those who are non-religious, those who are, are not familiar or committed to God, the Gentiles shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. So this is a promise that God made to his people. He's saying things are bad now. The darkness is, is increasing But God will arise at some point and his glory will be seen upon his people such that people around the world will be drawn to and attracted to that light and come into the reality of God's character of love. And that's what Revelation is talking about. Revelation is saying, you know, things are looking pretty bad, but there will come a time. Yeah, Christianity might be dead, people are claiming. Religion is dying. But there will come a time, even though it looks like it's dying, and even though it looks like it's, it's almost on its last legs, there will come a time where this amazing revolution is unleashed. Where, where God's glory, his character, his love, his mercy, his grace will be on his people, and it will be seen throughout the ends of the earth. This is a staggering promise. This is a, this is a kind of a, a surprising promise that God makes. Now, we're going to, in the next number of weeks, again, the next 32 weeks, we're going to unpack that and say, okay, what does that mean? What does that look like? What is the content of it? Who is is he speaking of? We're going to unpack those things as we go forward. But for now, I just want us to understand that it's not always going to be this way. That God is doing something, and I'm just going to, like, give you a little sneak peek. It's probably not necessarily all the people you think it is. And uh, again, I can't help but like preach future sermons, but like, you remember the disciples? They came to Jesus and they're like, hey, Jesus, there's these dudes that are like casting out demons in your name. They're not, but they're not with us. And what does Jesus say? He's like, those who aren't against me are with us. So don't like, don't worry about them. They're, they're like, you may not, they may not have the right denominational name. They may not have the right, you know, manner. They, they, they may not look exactly like you look, but if they're doing the, their thing and they're, 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 they're working the works of God's character, it's like they're with us. 
So, like, as we unpack this, we're going to see that God is doing something among the nations. God is working his, his works of grace, and he's developing people, and he's, he's drawing people, and he is working through people such that there will come a, a, a point of critical mass where all those who are living by God's love, they will come out into the open and people will be drawn to them and say, oh man, that's what God is like. That's who he is. That's the good news of his grace. And it'll, it'll, it'll be like a, a revolution that sweeps the whole earth. The, the Gentiles will see that light and they will be drawn to it. They will see that, that amazing grace, that character of love. Because this is what, as I said, the glory means. This is what it means to be a part of, of, of God's people. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Is not simply to believe in truths about him, but to be changed by those truths about him. So that you and I participate in this amazing revolution of love. That you and I participate in this prophetic movement that is the bearers of his image and the reflectors of his love and his light. So that's what God promises to us. That's what he says will happen. He says, yeah, there might be the end of Christianity. That's what one article title said. But that doesn't mean it's the end of those who are living out the love of Christ. And a matter of fact, it's going to be like this, this rush of, of amazing revival and amazing character, showing God's character to the world. You know, there's this um, time in the past where people had been kind of citing the obituary for Christianity. Back in the 18th century, England was just completely sold out to debauchery on all levels. And uh, the church was incredibly corrupt, and the clergy were just I don't know if you could ever imagine clergy like being corrupt. Um, like selling out to the government and stuff like that. Um, but the clergy was corrupt and uh, there was just upheaval and the, the, like some of the stuff I was reading, like, how would you like this lady? Is like, men could just go sell their wives at an auction. Like, I'd never heard this before, but that's like stuff that was taking place. Like, how many of you want to sign up for that, ladies? <laughs> like, maybe we, if, if it was the other way around, right? <laughs> but, like, it was just incredibly dysfunctional. And, like, people were worried that England was basically just going to, like, go up in civil war. They, they were just, they were, that's what people were worried about. And then there was this, just this humble young man, like, who was one of 19 children. And, uh, he literally changed the course of England because he brought a, a message of God's love and grace. His name was John Wesley. And this dude was like just relentlessly devoted to spreading not only the message of the gospel, but he started something called Methodism. You ever hear of it? He was not just about, like I said, as I said, sharing good news. He was about like starting little communities that decided that they want to become better people. And they would, they would have these little social meetings. And uh, one of the things he did as well is, like, he was so outspoken about 
the corruption of the government, and he was trying to promote like civil reform. And of course, he was like an abolitionist. He inspired. He was one of the great inspirers of William Wilberforce, who who was instrumental in abolishing the slave trade in England. And through that man, and through his followers, and through the Methodists, check out this dude. Isn't he pretty cool? He actually was one of the few that, that, that's his real hair. I guess he refused to wear wigs. He was one of the few that refused to wear wigs because he was like, we don't need to do that. He, he would spend like, I just read, he'd spend like $30 a year on clothing or something. I don't know, which is a very small amount. But like he was like just this, this revolutionary. And through his, his efforts, through his leadership, England was saved. And, and reform happened not only spiritually, but civilly and governmentally. And, and it, it turned right around because this man decided that he was going to be an agent of change. It reminds me of this passage. Habakkuk 2, verse 14, another prophecy. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. You ever been, you've been to an ocean lately? There's a lot of water on that sea, isn't there? (laughs) But this is what will take place. God has promised this. Does that mean everybody's going to get on board? No, 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 no. But there is this movement that is is going to be viral, that is going to just electrify the world. God is not going to go down without a fight here at the end, and I mean that in the best sense of the, the word. God is going to have a movement that arises And again, we'll unpack what that looks like, who that is, and all that. But God's going to have a movement that arises that that is a part of this gospel revolution. And I don't know about you, but I want to be a part of that. Like, I'm on board. Are you on board? You You want to get on board with that? So by God's grace, you and I can participate in this this viral revolution so that we can be agents of change and God can have his day here in in this world. So, you're thinking to yourself, yeah, I'm just, kind of, I'm just kind of flirting with this whole Christian thing. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of in, I'm sort of out. And you're wondering, well, what's my place in it? And how can I be a part of it? And, and all it takes for you is to, to lean into community together with us, community together with other disciples, community together with those who are a part of this movement. And, and I'm not saying we're like, we're it, right? Like, hey, we're the John Wesley here and we're going to do this thing like in Bangor and it's going to go to the whole world. Like, we don't have those delusions, uh, but we want to be a part of it, right? And you're thinking, I'm looking for a little more adventure than I've had heretofore in my religious experience. And I, I want to be a part of that revolution. I don't want to be a part of, of just like kind of lukewarm, passive Christian experience. I don't want to just like go through the motions. I want to be a part of something that that is a part of big change in this world. Again, I don't want to get like heightened sense of importance or anything like that. Like as though, oh man, it's coming down to us, God. I guess we're the only ones who can do it. But I do want to be say yes to God and day by day say, how can I be an agent of your change? How can I be an agent of your love?